Good morning. How's everybody doing? Happy three-day weekend. It's MLK weekend, and we're going to take a minute here in a sec to um, have a moment of silence and recognize the work that Dr. King did in our culture and our country. Uh, but first, uh, congratulations for choosing church over your vacation home up north that you have. Uh, and, and coming to church when it's raining. For some reason, that's a real hindrance for people in Arizona. In fact, I'm, you know, I, I, I serve the youth in youth ministry, and the other day I used one of these, and we are going to a breakfast, and it was raining, and legitimately a senior in high school said, I think this is the first time I've ever used an umbrella. <laughs> and he was a 12th grader. So that's not why I brought this up here. It's actually a prop for what we're going to talk about today. But um, I have an announcement for us. It's very important. Speaking of youth, we have our winter camp that is next weekend. We're taking the kids up to Williams, Arizona. Yes. Uh, we really covet your prayers. Um, this is a time where we see Jesus all the time in his ministry kind of cut ties from the regular public life to go to a private place, usually up a mountain, to pray with his disciples, to learn, and to be refreshed and restored. And that really, traditionally, year in and year out, has been a very fruitful time for our kids. Put down the phones, leave them away, and go connect with each other and connect with God. Um, and so I, I hope that you guys will pray for us next week when we're up there. Um, that being said, this is the last day that youth can sign up for that camp. So if you're kind of, if you've procrastinated, this is it. I'm mean, gonna suppose midnight is when it ends, but uh, you can sign up until midnight tonight. It's a, it's a three-day weekend uh, because we're recognizing the work of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in fighting against injustice, racial injustice in our country. We think it's appropriate on a day like this to take a moment of silence uh, the Bible uh, instructs us to lament things that are sad, things that are broken. And uh, if we look throughout our history, there's, there's plenty of wins and there's plenty of victories and beautiful stories that we can celebrate, and certainly the Scriptures tell us to celebrate that. But we can't ignore or turn a blind eye to the injustice that has happened to families and individuals, groups of people in our community throughout our country's history. And so this is not a moment to heap guilt on people. This is a moment where the church does what God instructs to lament and take a moment of silence. And so let's uh, do that, and I'm going to instruct some time of prayer as we do this. So if you'd take a moment of silence. Lord, you tell us to weep with those who weep, and we see that in Jesus' life, that he did not hover around injustice or sadness or brokenness or death or murder, uh, turning a blind eye and not being emotional, but Lord, you, you wept. And ultimately, it's because of brokenness of sin and humans hurting humans that you sent your son, Jesus. And he birthed in this creation a Holy Spirit movement that would rise up people that cared about his kingdom, his righteousness and justice, and 
would look at the perversion of the way things are supposed to be and would be an instrument in your hand to make things better, to make things right. And we just honor today, Lord, the gift that you gave our country in uh, Dr. King and many that served with him who were motivated by the kingdom of God and strengthened by the love of Christ, who looked to the scriptures for instruction on how to solve God-sized problems with man-sized strength. Father, I pray that that same spirit would be inside of us, whether that's racism or injustice or any kind of perversion of the way that you've created things to be, that the spirit in us would be people that take up the cause of the orphan and the widow and the immigrant, that where we see uh, people treated wrongly or left behind, Lord, the mercy of Christ that would stop and help would be the thing that marks this church. Redemption loves. And we do all of that, not so that you will love us, but because you have loved us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in a series uh, on money. And um, I'm excited to teach this morning. Uh, actually, last night I was up and I was actually praying about this sermon and I felt like I just wanted to teach it last night. I'm in my bed. I'm like, I can't even sleep. I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm fired up. Like, I sounded like in my head last night, like a fired up, fire and brimstone, spit going everywhere, wiping my... And then I woke up this morning, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm exhausted. I don't know if I can do that today. <laughs> I spent all my energy <laughs> thinking about this moment. I don't know if I have enough energy for the moment. Secular humanism. This is something I talk to the kids about quite a bit. Uh, what is it? I'm, uh, most of us have noticed uh, a pattern, a wave, a change in our culture. And uh, most people would say it's due to secular humanism. It's kind of the, the religion of the current culture today. And I think the best way for me to describe uh, secular humanism is an umbrella. Uh, secular humanism, if you say secular, that means... Uh, without God, okay? It's a culture that doesn't want God. And humanism is, we can do it. Like humans, we can fix this thing. And secular humanism has kind of acted like an umbrella. And I'm not going to tell you who the senior was that had never used one of these, but his name is Brock. And so we, in most of the part of the country, we use this for rain. Uh, in Arizona, we typically use this to keep the sunshine off, okay? So right now, I'm probably dark in the shadows. You can't really see what's going on. My facial expression, maybe. Um, secular humanism is this. Like, God is raining. His light is shining. He's in control. He's intricately involved in your life. He cares about you. He cares about the mundane moments and the big moments. He, he moves towards you in grief, he celebrates when sinners repent, and secular humanism would have us believe that we live under an umbrella, and under the umbrella, we don't see the light. So we go about our days feeling like the absence of God, like we can't experience 
the power and his love because there's been an, there's really been an exorcism. Okay, you guys familiar with exorcism? Probably should not look that up on YouTube. Um, Jesus exercised demons. He, he cast them out. He says, out of here, get out. And our culture is trying to exercise God from public life. We don't want you here. Get out. And this is the, this is the fight. This is a fight. When parents come to me and talk about anxiety in their kids and fear and worry and relationships, and there's like, we can see it in our kids' faces, we can see it on their social media, we can see it in their mental health. People are struggling right now, not just kids. Anxiety, loneliness, depression, mental health is a big issue. It's a big issue, especially with our children. We're raising them in a world that has told them God doesn't exist. They live in this eclipse of darkness. And this morning, we're going to talk about the worry, the kind of life that we begin to live, live when we believe that God is exercised. He's out. When God is not uh, the one that defines my identity, when God is not the one that gives me strength, when, when God is not the one that gives me purpose. I must become the God. I must take his place. I must decide who I am and what my identity is. I must decide what my purpose is. It's me. Let me just tell you, you're not built to play God. You are not strong enough. You are not qualified enough for that position. And nor is your junior higher. The word today I want to talk about is zeteo. Everybody say zeteo. Zeteo is a, it's a Greek word, and it means to set your heart on something. It's like to set a goal. This is purpose, okay? And really today, when we talk about contentment, Jesus is going to teach us that it's about what is the purpose and mission of your life? And I think we're going to see that when Jesus goes through Luke 12 with us today is that our zeteo is so shallow. Our purpose that we're living for is so shallow, and Jesus consistently is telling his disciples, it's bigger than that. And I want to tell us today, Jesus is telling us, this congregation your purpose, why he created you, why he bought you with his blood, why he's filled you with his spirit is bigger than what we are currently chasing. Under the umbrella, our zeteo is aimed at tiny, weak, shallow things. Jesus has something bigger for us. And I'm just going to like give us the punchline right at the beginning. So if I don't make it through your note, my notes, you're going to have the answer right here. And if you don't have the attention span to make it to the end, here you go. You're going to walk away with it right now, okay? When the disciples asked Jesus, how should we pray? You guys know the Lord's Prayer? Hallowed be thy name. Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Blessed be your name, Lord. The next thing, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
I follow a pastor, John Tyson, and he made this illustration, this canopy eclipse, or eclipse that allows us to think that we're living in darkness. That prayer, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, is like we're taking, I don't know what kind of weapon we're taking. What are those things that they're using in Ukraine, those just like big tubes? Like our prayers, we're going to call old school G.I. Joe, it was a bazooka. I don't know what they call them anymore, all right? But our prayers are like bazookas up into the umbrella that blow a hole in it and light, light the earth. All right, maybe that didn't work. But it's us saying like, <laughs> secular humanism is saying, no, we don't want God. That prayer, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, is blowing holes in the framework and saying, no, we want you here. I want you here in my family. We can't do this without you. Our kids are struggling. If you work at Intel, that kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Bazooka. <laughs> Light to my desk that I might embody the king in that moment and how I manage people, how I submit to the people above me, and how I serve the people below me, how I serve the clients. Zateo is about the kingdom of God. Lord, we want your way here on earth as it is in heaven. We're tired of doing it by ourselves. We're worn out. We're hurting each other. Our relationships are falling apart. Our marriages are falling apart. Lord, our society feels like it's falling apart. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Now, my daughter is a former pole vaulter, uh, and she got into pole vaulting because she went to the first day of track, and I made her do track, and I said, they won't cut anybody. She came back. I said, what's the event? She said, pole vault. I said, how did you choose that? She said, well, I looked at the sprinters, and I was like, I don't want to do that. And then I looked at the long distance, and I said, I don't want to do that. And I looked at the mat where the pole vaulters were, and they were all laying down. <laughs> and she said, I'm a pole vaulter. I'm going to get good at this thing. Um, but one thing I learned, I know nothing about pole vaulting. One thing I learned is the steps, the run-up is really important. Like, so that when your left foot lands, the pole is ready to go into that slot. And if you started just this far back, when that pole goes down, you miss the hole, and it's very, very dangerous. The run-up is really important. When we read the Bible, the run-up is really important. And I'm going to spend a lot of time just kind of flying through what Jesus is doing in, in Luke 12, and you're going to be like, all right, this isn't even your text. If we get the run-up wrong, we will miss the point of what Jesus is saying. We've got to understand the context of Luke 12. If you have a Bible, open up to Luke 12. We're going to talk about some contentment. Luke 12 opens up, and uh, if, you can if you can picture this, 
Luke 12, 1, it says a crowd of many thousands. Right here, we got about, I don't know, 500, 600 maybe. A many thousands gathered so that they were trampling on one another. This is a huge crowd, and it says that, uh, all right, this is easier to read. My eyes are really bad. Jesus began to speak to his disciples saying, be on your guard against the use of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And I read that, and I thought, this is weird. Like all these people are chasing Jesus, coming to sit at his feet. They want answers. They want healing, all of this stuff. And he says, he turns to his disciples, and he goes, hey, be careful. We got to be careful. We don't fall into the trap of the Pharisees. Their weakness is hypocrisy. Why did I say that? He goes on to explain that hypocrisy is this. We live one way in public. We're presenting ourselves in public as this curated, amazing, fit, healthy, beautiful, should I go on, rich, amazing experience curate it, and we put it out in public, when in reality, there's something in me in my inner secret life that doesn't measure up. It's like two different people. Now, we don't struggle with this today. Be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Our whole lives have gone public, right? I eat a good meal. What is it? Graham eats first. Any kids in here? You guys know what that means? Before I eat it, the gram is, we got to take a picture of it. Go public. Look what I'm doing, right? We go public with so much. Be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees. Here's the, here's the deal. Under the umbrella, what we have to look for uh, is the teo set our hearts on is other people's opinions of us. The purpose and mission of our lives is to impress others. Jesus is like, don't fall for that zateo. You're going to drive yourself crazy trying to please other people. Instead, God is more glorious than people's opinion. What you should care about is what he thinks of you. And freedom, we don't have to worry so much about posting and boasting, curating our image to others. He goes on, and he says, uh, now I want you to be aware. Remember, the crowd is coming in, and he's like, I, want you, I, want, I don't want you to fear those that can kill you, okay? Because after they kill you, they can't do anything else for you. And you're like, well... That's a pretty significant thing that they can do to me. And he said, instead, fear the one who once you've died can cast you out into hell. He's saying, look it, these Roman soldiers, I mean, any time if you've been to Israel and they start talking about all the reasons Jesus went up the hill, a lot of times it's like, Romans don't like gatherings of Jews. They're up to something they kind of snuff out a revolution before it happens. And so when these disciples get all these crowds together, they're like looking, where are the Romans? We're in trouble. They are not going to like this, right? And Jesus says, be careful of the Pharisees. They want people to lift them up. Don't fall for it. Small as the tail. Be careful of those Romans. 
They're going to want to press you down. Don't worry about them. All they can do is kill you. Jesus said this, God is more glorious. And beyond this temporal life, there is an everlasting life. And in that moment, you can have courage and stand for God in the midst of Roman persecution because you're more concerned about the eternal, the temporal. Staying alive. The mission and purpose of my life is to not get killed. (laughs) Small, small mission. The purpose of my life is to think people are, uh, is to, to get people to think I'm amazing. Small as a tale. Jesus says, I have something better for you. And he continuously says in this chapter, don't worry. Don't worry. Why? Because when I'm trying, when I'm trying to keep people pleased, and I'm trying to keep out my enemies and not get hurt and protecting myself, and there's no God in the equation, it is worrisome. It is anxious, anxiety-inducing. In 12.13, in the midst of this conversation, a man yells out to Jesus. Now, there's thousands of people. It said they were trampling one another, okay? So I think I read this last night, and I laughed out loud, okay? And I've actually written in my notes, LOL, okay? Grandparents and parents, if you didn't know, that's an old way of saying that you laughed, okay? Nobody uses it anymore. Okay. This is hilarious. In the midst of all of this, this guy goes, hey, Jesus, could you tell my brother to give me my inheritance? Okay? Like, my dad has died. He has a lot of money. And will you tell my brother to share it with me? And uh, first of all, I laughed out loud. I think this is really funny. Like, the biggest issue on this guy's mind is like, his Zateo, the thing he wants from this rabbi, this amazing people, people want healing, people want this. He's like, could you get me some dough? And Jesus tells a parable. Matt did a great job teaching it last week. And, and I feel like Jesus might be kind of, I don't know, does Jesus punk people? He's like, let me tell you this story about this guy. He had a great year. He sold some land. He had a great crop. He, he, he harvested more than he ever needed, and he got a, a bigger house. He, he needed a house with bigger closets because he needed more stuff. He needed a four-car garage because so much stuff, and, and he needed storage units. I mean, this guy needed more space for his more stuff. He actually tore down his old house and he built something bigger so that he could get all of this stuff. And then he died. And Jesus ends the story with, so who gets the money? And I got to believe the guy's like, no, that's what I'm asking. Like, who gets my dad's money? And he just told a parable about his dad. So what you're saying is your dad had a lot of money. He passed away, and you want to figure out who gets that money. Let me tell you a story about a man who had a lot of money and died. And the question is, who gets his money? What is Jesus doing? 
look, this cycle of like, I want to get more stuff to spend on myself so that I can pass it on to people that are going to take it and spend it on their self. And then their kids will get it and pass it on so that they can spend it on themselves. The zeteo, the shallowness of like, is that the purpose of humanity, really? If I'm going to work every single day just to get more money to spend on myself and maybe have a few bucks to pass on to my kids, it's not big enough. I feel like we've been built for something more than that, haven't we? Jesus says to him, be careful. Remember, be careful of the Pharisees. Be careful of the Romans and being afraid of them. He says, be careful of greed. Be careful of greed. What is greed? Me first. Okay, since we're about to go to winter camp, I got a funny story for you guys. We got looted last year. All right, you guys seen looting in the news? Yeah, I did this party at the end of the winter camp, and I bought all this candy. We got Sour Patch. We got hot cocoa packets. We just got Doritos. We got all of this stuff. And I said, guys, it's the last night of camp. We're going to go into the gym. We got coffee there. We got cocoa. We got fires. We got all this stuff. And there's free candy. Just take candy, whatever. Junior high boys. <laughs> running. Boom. Big box of Sour Patch. A box, Costco box, of like 40 bags of Sour Patch running back to their cabin. Cocoa, boxes of cocoa packets. Like, what are you going to do in your cabin with all those cocoa packets? You said it's free. You know, and I was like, guys, no, like, this is for everybody. You said it was free. I know, but this seems wrong. I don't know how to tell you this is wrong, but this is wrong. Everyone's supposed to get Sour Patch. All right. I'm not going to tell you the names of those kids, but their last name is Snyder. All right. No youth is safe today. <laughs> Be careful of greed. A me first. I want more. And Jesus says, life is more than this. And if you're living that more possessions equals more life, then you will never be satisfied. You will never be content. You can always get more possessions. And you can always then get more life. It's a math equation that leads us to discontentment. And I remember Jeremy Olam used to say all the time in Launch Point, he's like, money can't make you happy, but, you know... Money can buy you a wave runner, and those people look pretty happy. <laughs> I said, yes, but how many months or years until that wave runner is on your side yard and is like, you're done with it, and it's, it's old. You're not interested in it anymore. The possessions that we think we're going to fill this soul with, the mission of our life is not possessions. It's not people's praise. It's not protection. That's who, that's. Oh, my, zeteo, got another Greek word in the, zeteo is too small. Jesus says there's more. 
more to life than all of this. This is going to drive us mad. Anxiety, worry, discontentment. Life on the umbrella, under the umbrella is garbage, right? A world with no God, that's weak. Greed, like our life is about who's following us and who's liking our stuff on social media, how many friends we have, what social circles we're in. It's driving people mad. So what does he do? He says, look at the birds. I want you to go outside and look at the birds. Now, I stopped at this point in my study, and I was like, boom. I was at Pesheto. I think that's how you say it. Coffee shop, the epicenter. Pesheto? Pesheto. Pesheto. Zeteo? Zeteo. I was at that coffee shop in the, called Zeteo. Somebody open up a coffee shop called Zeteo, please. All right. So I'm Agritopia. I love going to the, the gardens, right? So I go over there. He says, look at the birds. I said, all right. Close my Bible, put it in my car, walk. And I just sat out there looking at birds. I looked at the flowers. He said, look at the flowers. He said, look at the ravens. And I was like, I hate ravens. (laughs) And I'm just watching it all happen. Someone from the church was actually in the garden. I was like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm watching the birds. Why? Jesus said, watch the birds. I'm watching the birds. I'm watching them eat. This guy in the garden says, he's showing me his garden. He says, like, yeah, this pepper plant. You know, the, the birds eat the peppers. They can't feel the heat, so they eat it fine. Then they poop it out, and it multiplies the peppers all over the place. They're not trying to do that. It's just happening, right? Everyone's getting fed in this garden. The bees are pollinating the flowers, the birds, and the bees multiplying goodness. <laughs> In the garden, where's this headed? (laughs) It's all just happening. There's a balance and a harmony to all of it. And here's what I thought. This is when I saw God is providing for all of this. And I thought, and then I go to Alaska. And as far as you can see are just mountains of trees. And every little plot of space of the earth, the same thing's happening. Birds are pooping seeds. More berries grow. Bears eat the berries. Bears take a swim. Eat the salmon. Pull it out. Eagles come in and eat the scraps. The nitrogen from the bird, I don't know. It (laughs) feeds the berries. The bugs are on the salmon carcass. The bugs get eaten by the fish. There is nobody out there in Alaska making sure this stuff happens and multiplication is happening. Look, when you get out of this umbrella, you're going to realize God is running this thing and he's doing fine without us. You can go to the deepest wilderness and he is there providing 
because he is a provider. Jesus says, you're running around your whole life. The mission and purpose of your life is to do these little things. And he says, I'm doing that. I'm God. I'm qualified. I have the resume. Look at the birds. These are sparrows. They're sold five for two pennies. These things are nothing. They're not valuable. And yet, not one of them falls where God doesn't know. He knows the sparrows. How much more are you more valuable than these cheap, little, tiny birds? I know the hairs on your head. You can trust me. I care for you. I'm a provider. I got this. Don't make your zateo taking my job. So you go, okay, well, what is the zateo? Like, okay, I'm, I'm not going to worry about all this stuff. I'm not going to make the purpose of my life to get stuff and to get praise and to publicly put myself out there. What should I do? He says in 31, remember the prayer? He says, but seek his kingdom. And all this stuff I will take care of. All this stuff I got. Look at the birds. Look at, look at the flowers. You seek the kingdom. What does that mean? The Bible has two chapters at the beginning where God is ruling. And everything on creation, in creation, is lined up with his perfect will. Okay? His kingdom means his dominion, his rule is being followed perfectly. Two chapters at the beginning. This side of the Bible. Two chapters at the end. Jesus is on earth. The kingdom is back the Alpha and the Omega is here making all things new. And the kingdom is on earth as it is in heaven. His will is being perfectly followed. There's no more injustice. There's no more unrighteousness. There's no more need for tears. Why do we have these tears? We don't need them anymore. This is the hope of the Christian faith. These last two chapters, garden again except it's a city. And we're there with the king, and our lives line up perfectly with him. This is the kingdom of God. Seek that kingdom. Jesus, when he introduces himself, he says, Euangelion, good news, gospel. The kingdom of God has come near. That future reality when Christ rules and restores everything is embodied in a person named Jesus, and he goes, it's good news for y'all. Because right here where I stand, God's will is perfectly aligned with my will. I only do what the Father says. I only do what I see him doing. It's a perfect reflection of God and the kingdom of God. This is good news. When he rose from the dead, he unleashed his spirit into this world. The kingdom of God's spirit 
is in all of those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. The kingdom spirit is in you, and in it, as it bears the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. In this moment, the kingdom is here. What do you do for work? You go to work to make money, go to work to get the promotion, go to work to get possessions. Is that what we're doing? Not in the church. In the church, Lord, bring your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. In my engineering, help me solve problems. George Washington Carver, the son of a freed slave. Post-slavery agriculture in the South. The economy without slavery is falling apart. The son of a freed slave figures out crop rotations. And actually, when this, this weed, when we let the weed grow, actually the soil is better. The next harvest is much better. But what are we going to do with all these weeds? He gets on his knees. Lord, give me what I should do with these weeds. God said, peanut butter. They're going to love it. Peanuts, roasted peanuts. Peanuts as a dye. Peanuts as a butter. The government calls him in like, hey, where did you get this information about this weed? How are you doing all this stuff? He says, I read it in a book. We own the libraries. That book doesn't exist. He says, no, no, it's not a book about peanuts. It's the Bible. And they said, no, we've read the Bible. There's nothing about peanuts in there. He goes, no, no, no. In the Bible, it connected me with the God who oversees the birds, who runs this place. And I asked him, what do I do? This is a God-sized problem. I can't solve this economy. I can't solve all of this. God gave me peanut butter. he didn't even take a cent for that. You know that? He said, well, how can I take credit for that? That was God's. He gave it to me. I didn't come up with that. At Intel, at the elementary school where you teach, in your house where you parent, in your finances, the mission of your life, the Zeteo, is to create families and communities and neighborhoods that understand there is a God that runs everything. We don't have to worry. We commit our lives to, Lord, living in line with your will. Your kingdom come in my life. It will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The rest of my life, the, my uh, notes is people in this church that are doing that and examples that I've seen that are beautiful. But unfortunately, we're out of time. And here's what I'll tell you. There's people in this congregation, there's many of them, who like the bazooka is loaded and regularly they're going into the world and they're punching holes in darkness and allowing God to shine down. And what's coming out of them is changing people's lives and making this place better. And one of them, one of them, Martin Luther King Jr. His is a kingdom of justice and righteousness. 
And he looks and says, this is not just. All right. Dr. King says, the Lord gave me this word. Overcome evil with love. Romans 12. Let's go. Let's pray. We trust you. We know you're a provider. We know you have strength. The Apostle Paul says he's learned the secret of contentment. Christ, King. Christ, Lord, you are the secret to our contentment. You are our strength. And we can do all things, peanut butter, civil rights, through Christ who strengthens us. This church has a bigger and better purpose than the praise of men, than the possessions in our garages and storage units, than preserving our life. Lord, light a fire ablaze in us to pray on every corner your kingdom come and to live in line with your will. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want you to take the cup. We're going to celebrate communion. Paul says this, church, you have been delivered from the domain of darkness, the umbrella. You've been delivered from that. And you've been transferred into the kingdom of the beloved son. And how he did that deliverance and transfer is through his blood. He washed you. He forgave you. He cleansed you. He's adopted you. And it came through the cross. He suffered. What did he pray the night before he went to the cross? Not my will be done. I want my life to line up with your will. He was praying our prayer. And that led him to a cross to suffer and die for others. And so every time we take this bread, we remember his sacrifice. Let's eat and remember him. He took a cup of wine and he passed it around and he said, this represents, every time you do this, I want you to think about my blood. I've washed you. You're clean. You're with me. It's a free gift. I've done this for you. Just accept it as a gift. And you can be a part of my kingdom, the blood of the king. Let's remember. All right, I'm ready to worship. You guys ready? Let's sing.